Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. The Central African Republic is near or at the bottom of every major economic or development indicator. For example, out of 189 countries ranked in the UN Development Program's Human Development Index, the Central African Republic is second to last. When it comes to life expectancy at birth, the country ranks dead last. It is also a country that is emerging from civil war. One of the UN's larger peacekeeping missions, known as MINUSCA, deployed there in 2014. The deployment of peacekeepers has helped prevent the outbreak of major conflict and has set the conditions for a fragile peace agreement to take hold, but there is still a great deal of insecurity in parts of the country. This is all to say that the Central African Republic, known as CAR or CAR, was beset by a number of very big challenges long before the coronavirus pandemic breached its borders. So what I wanted to do with today's episode is explore how the Central African Republic and presumably other countries with similar challenges are responding to COVID-19. On the line with me from Bangui, which is the capital of CAR, is Dr. Marie-Rosaline Belizaire. She is a Haitian epidemiologist with the World Health Organization who was deployed to the Central African Republic early in the pandemic to assist the country with COVID-19 preparedness and response. We kick off discussing how her work fighting Ebola across the border in the Democratic Republic of Congo has informed her response to fighting COVID in the Central African Republic. We then discuss some of the strategies she developed in partnership with the government and the UN peacekeeping mission, which has helped to contain the spread of COVID in the Central African Republic. COVID-19 is not raging out of control in CAR like it is here in the U.S. or Brazil or Europe earlier in the pandemic. This is in part due to the work of the World Health Organization, UN Peacekeeping, the government of the Central African Republic, and Dr. Marie-Rosaline Belizaire personally. This is an absolutely fascinating conversation with someone who is on the front lines of confronting this pandemic in one of the world's least developed countries. And I think you will greatly appreciate the story that Dr. Marie-Roseline Belizaire has to tell. And a quick note before we start, if you are interested in hearing more about topical global issues, check out Rising to Respond, a podcast that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for humanitarians to fight COVID-19 around the world. Brought to you by World Vision, they're covering stories you're not seeing in the news. Hear from global leaders, frontline workers, and children about the realities they're facing during this global pandemic. You can find Rising to Respond on your favorite podcast player, or visit wvi.org slash rising to respond. And of course, as always, feel free to reach out to me. If there's anything on your mind, you can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Also, if you're able to uh, leave a review for the show, wherever you listen to it on Apple, 
Podcasts or Spotify or however you access Global Dispatches, uh, be sure to leave a review. It helps. Thank you. Now, here is my conversation with Dr. Marie-Rosaline Belizaire, epidemiologist with the World Health Organization. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So I am working with WHO since uh, 2015, like an epidemiologist, first in Mauritania to prepare the country for a possible uh, Ebola virus disease uh, importation. And then uh, since 2018, I was uh, deployed uh, to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where I work uh, with uh, fighting uh, Ebola disease there. So uh, on March 2020, I have been redeployed to Central African Republic uh, to support the country in the fight uh, with uh, COVID-19. So, so that's interesting. So you're, you know, obviously an experienced epidemiologist who worked on that uh, 2018 DR Congo outbreak. Uh, that was the second worst outbreak ever, I believe. Yet it was. It was a very tough outbreak uh, with uh, big challenges that we didn't face uh, before on other outbreaks. So the, the WHO obviously sent you from DRC to Central African Republic uh, because you have this you know, experience in, in fighting um, infectious diseases and epidemics. What did you do when you arrived in CAR in 2020 to prepare for a potential COVID outbreak there? So when I first arrived uh, in uh, CER, I... Uh met uh, with the Ministry of Health. Uh, actually, I am based in the Ministry of Health uh, in order to better support, to see what they need, they have, and how I can uh, address uh, those uh, needs. So we work on the strategies. For the first, we work on the uh, organizational aspect of the response. When I arrive, I found uh, there is uh, already a crisis cell uh, conducted um, by the President of the Republic. There were also um, a technical cell with uh, the Prime Minister, but the, the operational level was not uh, well set up. So I worked together with the counterpart of Ministry of Health. We proposed uh, an IMS system, that's mean incident management system, to put in place uh, the operational response. Because, you know, it's worth emphasizing that the Central African Republic is a country that, you know, is emerging from years of conflict, uh, is a pretty weak government uh, as far as these things go. Uh, and so I can't imagine they had much capacity uh, of their own, that that's why they needed sort of help from the World Health Organization and epidemiologists like yourself. I mean, were there even any epidemiologists uh, in the government before you arrived? 
Yes, uh, they have a uh, uh, very experimented uh, epidemiologist. Uh, actually, he was uh, f- a former WHO representative uh, in Cameroon. He's uh, from Central African Republic. Now he's retired from the United Nations system and is working uh, mm. with the government. Is uh, actually the national coordinator, the technical national coordinator of the response, and we are working together. I am his counterpart from mm-hmm. WHO, so together we are making uh, the, the the operational strategy to propose unto uh, the ministry minister of health. So, uh, was it part of your job, for example, to try to get like personal protective equipment and testing and those kinds of things that? you know, societies and and countries need to prepare for this particular epidemic and sort of what challenges did you face, um, you know, just sort of getting the equipment you need to to, uh, confront COVID? Uh, At the beginning of the epidemic, uh, it was very difficult uh, to get uh, uh, um, individual protective equipment, but the country was also... Uh, in preparedness uh, for Ebola. So we use uh, this uh, material that was already in the country bef- uh, before those uh, could arrive uh, from uh, outside. I remember that the first uh, stock uh, to arrive uh, one from China. And so we can uh, replace those uh, for Ebola because this country is still um, at risk of Ebola because of the equatorial forest and other ecosystem and uh, also the epidemic right now that we have uh, in uh, Ecuador of uh, DRC is uh, also impacting uh, in the year. So mm-hmm. the challenges were also with uh, the tests because at the beginning we didn't uh, uh, testing everyone. So we wait uh, to have uh, um package of tests are coming from outside in order to begin. We didn't also have a, tech, a trained technical for laboratory to do this testing. So we take time to have a quality uh, laboratory technician to do this test also. But fortunately, we have an institute pastor, which is a, a collaborative uh, WHO collaborative center, which has uh, the capacity to begin with uh, the testing. By the way, the first uh, COVID uh, tests were done at uh, this uh, institute. In what ways uh, did your experience with Ebola inform uh, how you are to approach uh, COVID-19? Well, I use uh, several lessons learned from Ebola to advise the government here in CER. The first thing that we advise is a very strong uh, surveillance and strategies. When we put uh, control, test control at point of entries, uh, we also put uh, uh, control at uh, hospital with, uh, with a lot of uh, frequentation, a lot of consultation by day. We, we make some a mapping where we have uh, to put uh, the testing in order to know what kind of epidemic we are facing because we didn't know that at the beginning. Uh, also, 
since the beginning, I advise that we should go with a community strategy. We should go with a community-based surveillance, and we should work together in a win-win basis and back-to-back with community leaders in order to have the population aware to avoid the rumors and to avoid a misinformation among the communities. Although also lesson learned I apply here is um, we should work with local person. So we should train since the beginning because the we have a, normally we have a lack of a human quality and and quantity in CR. So we should uh, begin uh, to to train them since the beginning before we have a, a nationwide. Uh, outbreak so we can have them not prepare for that and uh, we also work on community and community communication and uh, community engagement because we have uh, set up uh, what we call a feedback from the community in order to know what they are thinking what are the rumors and how to address them in order to decrease refusal of the disease so it's interesting to me that much of your focus was on engaging local communities. I mean, one of the things that I, I have seen uh, about the experience about Ebola in the DRC is that there was a profound level of mistrust between local communities and both the government and international actors that were trying to uh, confront Ebola in in the DRC during this most recent outbreak in that prolonged the outbreak. So it's interesting to see uh, your focus on on local community and, and local engagement. Yes, exactly. Because uh, I think this is uh, one of the biggest lessons learned that we have uh, from this uh, last Ebola outbreak uh, in northern Kivu, that co- in community engagement is key. And when you have the community engage just what we are doing, I can say that we have a 50% of the problem solved. The other 50% is a technical, is a logistic, is a founding, but I think 50% of the problem is just by the community. Uh, so what is the, the COVID situation in the Central African Republic today? The first case of COVID-19 was detected in uh, Central African Republic on 14th of March this year. Since then, the epidemic has evolved. We have seen different phases uh, of this epidemic. We have had uh, imported uh, cases. We switched on to cluster cases in some part of Bangui. And now we are facing a community transmission. Actually, we have 4,656 cumulative and confirmed cases of COVID-19 in CER. Between those confirmed cases, we have 61 deaths. And most of them have been occurred in, in outside of health structures. I mean, how confident are you in the fact that those are the real numbers, given um, any potential lack, the challenges that might be faced in, in surveillance? Do you think that's pretty close to the actual number of of cases and deaths? Uh, I can answer for the death first. Uh, as you know, in CAHR, they are a culture of uh, death. So all in the community, when someone is dying, they are 
uh, they are bring they bring this uh, dead body to uh, the morgue when uh, they put them during a time af before organizing uh, the funeral. So we have uh, set up uh, a COVID-19 uh, dead uh, surveillance in morgue. All those uh, taken care of in the hospital has been uh, trained in order to make uh, the swab for all those dead bodies arriving uh, from the community. So far, we also working with community leaders that give us information about the number of deaths that uh, are producing in the country. We don't have a, a lot of uh, deaths uh, occurring in the community that would suggest that uh, pop the population is being is dying by a lot by COVID. So this uh, feeling is not. Uh, it, it is not and. We have also the Muslim part where we work with them. So far, we have, uh, uh, we have solved to have tests also of um, those dead in a mosque, but because they are not, they don't bring them to, they don't bring them to Murgi and now they have a very, a very rapid funeral. So we set up both sides in order to know what is happening in that side. So for the deaf, we are, we are confident that those uh, numbers could be true. But uh, for the confirmed numbers, at the, we have, at the beginning, we had a strategy that consisted in testing whoever wanted to be tested, even though they have uh, symptoms or not. So, we have uh, realized at some point that uh, 70 percent of those cases were without uh, symptoms, were asymptomatic. So on 30 of June, we make a switch on the, in the strategy. The switch were were, were um were uh, I mean the, the switch uh, means that uh, we are testing now based on. Uh, con on uh, the case and definition. So we are making the focus on those who have uh, symptoms and in the, on the vulnerable groups. That's groups who have a uh, comorbidity and COVID could be an aggregated factor for death. So we have also made this analysis with the 61 deaths that we have and we see that all of them has have sorry have uh, a comorbidity that uh, can justify the covid aggregation and not uh, conducting uh, to death so is with the switch this switch in the strategy we have uh, less um test laboratory testing you're focusing your testing on people that are potentially high risk that are also showing symptoms exactly exactly so we have less laboratory tests uh, since uh, 30 of June and, and we are going uh, to when but when we analyze we can see that uh, we have the same proportion of positivity in those lab tests that we had uh, before so this is what I can say about uh, the confidence with uh, those mm -hmm. uh, numbers I told you what's your uh, do you know offhand what the proportion of positivity is Yes, uh, we have uh, 50% of uh, of men and 50% of women 
uh, testing that are positive. So for if you if you see, that's huge, for example, isn't, isn't that a huge? Yeah, that's a huge number. Yes, but this is a proportion, not a, a prevalence. Mm. I can explain. For example, so far ah. we have about, uh, I mean, uh, twenty nine thousand eight nine hundred eighty nine tests that has been uh, performed, and for women we have. Uh, um, I think for women we have uh, seven thousand eight hundred seventy-five tests, but only one thousand two hundred fifty-five are, are positive. That means this is a proportion of fifteen percent, and mm. the same proportion is for men, but we have most tests doing uh, by men than by women. So when you see the, I mean, the distribution of cases and by sex, you will see that we have more men positive uh, than women. But when you look at, at the laboratory test, you will see that is the same proportion that are being uh, positive for men and for women. Why, why are um, men then getting sort of more tests? You know, COVID is a is a social disease. So COVID is disseminated more in area where they have a lot of people. So far, in, in culturally in car in CAR, you have a more uh, more more men in those places where I mean in this mass in this mass gathering. As you must know. Even though there were a lot of restriction measures in CAR, addicted by the head of the country, by the president, but we didn't observe that those restrictions were followed by the community. Hmm. When you see, for example, in funeral places, you have more men. In, tra- in traveling, you have uh, more men uh, travel traveling uh, than women. So hmm. this is, uh, I mean, anthropological and culturally justified for CR. Hmm. Um, one of the the key strategies for combating Ebola was contact tracing. Uh, are you able to do contact tracing in car right now? And also, are the cases mostly? Um, in Bangui and and the the cities. So the global strategy in CR is uh, testing, isolate, treat, uh, treat and tracing. So the strategy is uh, the same since the beginning. Even though we have uh, making uh, some changes in the testing, so we are not testing everyone. We are testing those responding to the case definition. We continue to isolate in at home and also in health infrastructure uh, build for the COVID. We continue to treat and we continue to trace. So actually, we are not tracing every single, I mean, contact. We are tracing close contacts. That means family uh, contact in the family nuclear of the cases and contact that um, that were in close uh, situation with the confirmed case. I can explain. We also have a definition of contact. We have uh, close contact and we have sporadic contact. Also, we have momentous contact. That means if I met someone in 
uh, large area, less than 50 minutes with uh, the distanciation and wearing max. So I'm just maybe a sporadic contact or momentaneous contact. So we don't follow those contacts. We will mm. follow those close contacts living in the same house and those who has been sleeping with the case. Mm. I mean, are you able to support people who need to isolate? I mean, uh, you know, presumably, uh, you know, there's a lot of you know extreme poverty in the Central African Republic, and you know, people need to to work, to eat, and to move around to eat, uh, and just to 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 take care of themselves. Is there any mechanism that's set up to support people who are needing to isolate? Yes. At the beginning, uh, we have isolation settings putting in place uh, with uh, the contribution of other partners. Because one of the biggest challenge we face in this epidemic were with uh, the truck drivers coming from Cameroon, where they were testing a positive, but most of them were asymptomatic. The first challenge were to, was to make them believe they are positive to COVID. And the second one was to take them in church to isolate them. So some isolation setting were, were built in, in order to take them into, into account. But with the increasing of cases, the capacity were over, overwhelmed. And we couldn't uh, continue to do this uh, isolation, even though for uh, asymptomatic cases. So it's for that that we switch to isolate uh, the confirmed cases at home when conditions are, are able us to do. But now, even though the condition in the house uh, is what it is, so we distribute masks and we owe it to the person uh, to to wear the mask at all the time. So we are making most of isolation right now at home. So for the cases, at the beginning, isolation was possible. Until now, with as we are making confirmation for cases with symptoms, it's easier to have this person isolated than the beginning when they were asymptomatic. So... So this is what uh, how we are organizing the isolation for now. And in terms of distribution of of COVID, is it mostly in Bangui and in the main city? In Bangui, we have uh, most of the cases, and but we have also in the biggest uh, in the biggest uh, cities. Uh, for example, we have uh, in uh, I can't give you some name. I think so far we have uh, eighteen. Uh, 18 of the 35 districts affected. And the, dis the distribution of cases uh, are in the big uh, cities, but Bangui is the most affected, affected, um, affected city. We also have a uh, Bimbo that have a lot of cases. Begua also is also affected. Um, but Bangui is the really the most affected area. But so far, we have a distribution in the country. I'm curious to learn how you're working with MINUSCA, which is the UN peacekeeping mission in the Central African Republic. It's one of the, the larger UN peacekeeping missions in the world. I think there's something about 13,000 uh, blue helmets in the Central African Republic. Uh, how are you working with them in these efforts to contain COVID-19? 
Uh, MINUSCA is uh, involved in uh, the response uh, of the COVID-19. They are involved in supporting us uh, with logistics because they have a big logistic in the country. They are supporting uh, with uh, building the isolation uh, isolation setting, I told you, with the tents. Uh, some of them were, uh, were setting up uh, by MINUSCA. They are also involved in uh, dissemination of, uh, in communication, sorry, not dissemination, in sensibilization, I meant, in uh, risk communication and also uh, public awareness. There we have, uh, they are working with radio, they are working uh, with uh, also tele, uh, com- press conference, they are involved in so many activities, this maximum distribution, they are giving a big uh, support uh, to the government uh, with that. So they are also, uh, they are also involved in funding mobilization. I think they will have uh, some funding they will distribute uh, to NGOs in order to support the government. So how we work with them, they are they are part uh, of the commissions, operational commissions, so they report uh, to the government. But regardless of the zone where we are working within security, when we have to go there, we have uh, our field security officer, so we have to inform this field security officer 24 hours before the mission in that zone within security in order to prepare the mission with MINUSCA. So every time I did that, I found them waiting for me in the field. They make securization of the area where I have to do my intervention, and they left when I leave. And this is more or less that we are working now with them. That's that's really interesting. I mean, both the fact that they are harnessing their logistic capabilities to support this effort, but also that, you know, the bread and butter work of UN peacekeeping providing security is is being harnessed uh, in support of, of a health intervention. And it's probably worth pointing out that while a number of armed groups in the Central African Republic have been included in a, re- in a recent peace deal, um, there are others, you know, th- that are not. And there are, are places in the country that are still very conflict prone and you know they're no more immune to covid than anywhere else uh, well this uh, situation is very difficult we still have uh, insec- zones with insecurity where it is difficult to go even though with monusco uh, so in those uh, places uh, we are having a lot of difficulty to obtain uh, data on how uh, the covid-19 uh, is uh, is is uh, is uh, spreading uh, so far um so you know as you said at the outset you uh you know were an e- are an epidemiologist that was sent by the WHO from DRC to CAR to apply you know lessons learned from Ebola to the fight against COVID-19 but i'm also curious to learn i mean you know how you know, have other um diseases and other epidemics being able to spread uh, just because uh, of the challenges that COVID-19 is posing to things like supply chains and other aspects of, of health issues. What sort of, uh, what other sort of negative health outcomes are you seeing arising as a result of COVID-19 in CAR? 
Uh, well, I think um, before we had uh, COVID, as you know, you said it before, CAO was facing a protracted humanitarian crisis due to the conflict. So this is a post-conflict situation. This is uh, also a country with a very weak health system and a vulnerable system due to the conflict that they suffered. So in this uh, country, we have lack of infrastructure, as you may uh, understand, and lack of human resources. So we also have other if emergencies, other serious health emergencies arising now in CR. Since January, we have a very important uh, missiles outbreak. We found 118 deaths. We also have uh, the polio virus derived from type 2 vaccine strain outbreak also since May 2019. As you can imagine, those uh, activities, uh, the campaign for vaccination campaign for those uh, outbreak has been very impacted with uh, the COVID-19. The first uh, negative impact was uh, the misinformation about uh, the experimental vaccine that should be carried out in uh, Africa. So the population does, doesn't want the, the, uh, the children to be vaccinated anymore because they think uh, it is the COVID vaccine that we are experimented. Oh, mm-hmm. That's that's a rumor. So they, they are refusing to get their children vaccinated for measles because of these rumors that a COVID vaccine will be tried out on Africans. Exactly, exactly. Uh. <laughs> and we also have, for example, neonatal tetanus. That is a very health, big health threat uh, in, in, in CR. But even though we have the funding uh, to make the campaign, we couldn't do it because of, of, uh, of our COVID. So neonatal tetanus is, is, is a big problem, and you had funding for a vaccine campaign, but you just couldn't launch it because of, of you know, restrictions because of COVID. Exactly. We have, because restrictions because of COVID, because also COVID imposed new rules of vaccination. Before, you didn't know, uh, I mean, protect, uh, PPE for the, for them to, to be vaccinated, to vac- for the vaccinators. And you didn't need, uh, uh, solution, so, solution to distribute to them. So we have to review the budget for these activities. And the vaccination supply chain also suffer from the delay to arrive also to see or because of the COVID-19. Lastly, and I know I'm keeping you longer than I expected, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this conversation. Thank you for, for bearing with me. No, no worries. La- no worries. So my lastly, I mean, from your perspective as an epidemiologist, I mean, how do you suspect um, the next, say, several months uh, between now until whenever there is a vaccine, um, how COVID might unfold in the Central African Republic compared to, say, I don't know, a country in, in Europe like Spain or, or Italy. Um, what sort of differences might we see in how uh, societies will be impacted over the next several months from COVID? Well... I think uh, in CAR, uh, the population is learning on how to live with COVID. You, for example, you see that uh, the Catholic uh, Church 
asked formally to the government to reopen churches and they will make sure the uh, prevention measures are met in order to have uh, continuity of our services. So it was done. We also have a release of some restriction and the government of Sierra has made a very big effort in make this global nationwide, nationwide distribution of masks for all the population. We have 10 million of masks that, that will be distributed. We already done in Bangui. We have a coverage of 94% of the population of Bangui who receive a mask. And I think that uh, we are learning on how to to deal with COVID in our daily day. So in CAO, the strategy also faced that uh, futures. It's for that that we have trained the uh, health worker in health center in order to cap COVID like a disease under surveillance, like others that we have, like, um, I mean, mandatory reported disease, like missiles, like uh, flu, like um, malaria. As we, as, ah, oh, let me tell something interesting here, because we are making a syndromic approach right now, because we are seeing that we have flu, influenza flu circulating, and we also have malaria circulating as this is the rainy seasons. So we have to catch to the, the, the trilogy of these three diseases in order to make, um, to decrease the mortality rate that could be provided by COVID. So imagine if uh, with the malaria, people are dying from malaria more than from COVID. So if they are dying with malaria and we do a positive uh, post-mortem COVID test and the test is positive, we will control this person like a COVID positive, even though it is for malaria. So it's for that that we are set up this uh, trilogy in order to catch them uh, together to see co-infection in uh, people in CR. So like it would be different from Europe, I think we didn't face this epidemic like they face it in Europe. In Europe, they began with a mortality rate very high. The epidemic began by mortality in Europe. Why are the epidemic begin with asymptomatic cases in CAR? So that gives the community here the time to, to understand the epidemic like something very benign, like something very, um, I mean, uh, the, uh, the perception is different. Mm. So I think uh, the way forward in the six months forward also will be different. So they are learning on how to live uh, with COVID. So you can see that uh, in every places, everyone is wearing his mask normally. So we keep on distancing and the activities are being, I mean, uh, we are, we're doing our activities, our meeting. We are, we're doing a lot of things in the country so far. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful and interesting. And just, you know, thank you for your work as well. My pleasure. And thank you to you for inviting me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dr. Belizera. That was 
very helpful, very fascinating, very interesting. Uh, I, I kept her on the phone a little longer than I expected, but I, I so appreciated her taking the time to speak with me. Uh, we recorded this just a few days before World Humanitarian Day, which is a, a day that commemorates the anniversary of the August 19th, 2003 bombing of the UN headquarters in Iraq, which killed a number of UN workers and has since been commemorated as World Humanitarian Day, and I think just gives me a good opportunity to highlight the good work of people like Dr. Marie-Rosaline Belizaire. So I know a number of humanitarian workers listen to this podcast, so thank you for your work on behalf of all of us. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.